Today we are studying the story of creation for the most part, and I love stories. So I'm going to read you a story of creation. And on the first day, God created the dog and said, sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes in. Hold on, my lights are messing with me here. That comes in or walks past. For this, I will give you a lifespan of 20 years. That could be what's going on. I don't know. I just, I'm having that weird shadows. Maybe it's this light that I need. Some of you wouldn't mind. Thank you. So the dog said, that's a long time to be barking. How about only 10 years? And I'll give you back the other 10. So God agreed. On the second day, God created the monkey and said, entertain people, do tricks, and make them laugh. For this, I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. The monkey said, monkey tricks for 20 years? That's a long time to perform. How about I give you back 10 years like the dog did? And God agreed. On the third day, God created the cow and said, you must go to the field with the farmer all day long and suffer under the sun, have calves, and give milk to support the farmer's family. For this, I will give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow said, that's a long time for a tough life. Do you want me to live in 60 years? How about I take 20 and I'll give you back the other 40? And God agreed again. On the fourth day, God created man and said, eat, sleep, play, be merry, and enjoy your life. For this, I will give you 20 years. But the man said, only 20 years? Could you possibly give me my 20, the 40 the cow gave back, the 10 the monkey gave back, and the 10 the dog gave back? And that makes 80, right? Okay, said God. You asked for it. So that is why for our first 20 years we eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. (laughs) For the next 40 years we slave in the sun to support our family. For the next 10 years we do monkey tricks to entertain our grandkids. And for the last 10 years we sit on the porch all day and bark at everyone. (laughs) So life has now been explained to you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) In all seriousness, that's not what God intended, of course. He says it's a rich life if we live to be 80, right? So let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word and the blessings of learning about you and how you created everything for us and for our good pleasure. And we're so thankful for that. And so as we open your word today, we ask that you open our eyes to to see and our ears to hear those things which you would have us to to learn, to see, and to hear. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the account of creation. It's kind of a long story, but I love to read it. I don't know why I could read this story over and over and over again. You know, and when you start reading your Bible, it's always a... From the beginning, it's always a treat to go, oh, I love the story of creation because it just shows how God loves us and wanted us to live in this beautiful world and how we, of course, mess things up. But I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I love the way it flowed. So um, today I am doing that. So if it doesn't look exactly like yours, that is why. This is the New Living Translation. It's an easier um, phrasing. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from darkness. 
God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters from the heavens, from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky, and evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together in one place, so dry dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. And God, God called the dry ground land and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow, seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. And God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two lights, the sun and the moon, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water. And every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. You see a pattern here? He goes, Ah, this is good. This is great. Have you ever done that with a project that you're happy with? You like, um, I, I love to sew. And when I finish a project or get through a stage, I look at it and I go, oh, I like that. Okay, that, that looks good. I want to keep that. Or sometimes I go, oh, that was a mistake. Rip it all apart. Start over again. But thankfully, God didn't have to do that. I'm sure at one time he felt like doing that because, you know, we mess things up. I know if I was God and Adam and Eve had blown it in the, the garden like they did, I would have just gone, okay, we're starting over, you know, zap. So, but God saw that it was good, and he just loves to do wonderful things for us, doesn't he? So then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal. And of course, I love animals, so this is really cool. Each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry around the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to, to produce offspring in the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. I'm going to pause right there. You notice um, in all the translation, it's let us make man in our image. That tells us right away, okay, what do you mean us? You know, has he got a mouse in his pocket? No. He's talking about the Trinity, Father, God, and Holy Spirit. So he's saying, let us make humans in our image. So I was telling the ladies this morning in our leaders meeting, that means God looks like us. Have you ever wondered what God looks like? He is us, but without sin. Therefore, you know, where he's perfect. 
um, years ago. Some of you have heard this story, but Brandon was very sick. This is my oldest son. And there was a time when we weren't sure he was going to live. And one day he told me, and I'm really doing a condensed story here, but one day he says, um, Mommy, Jesus put my head back together. And I'm going, what? You know, because he had been really sick and he had had, you know, uncontrolled seizures and things like that. And so he says, Jesus put my head back together. And I'm going, okay, when did that happen? He goes, last night when I died. And, of course, you know, by this time, he's really got my attention now. And I'm going, well, what happened? He goes, well, last night I died and I saw Jesus and he said he was going to put my head back together. And, of course, that kind of just took me for a loop. I'm going, oh, my goodness. And so after I recovered, um, I said, uh, okay, well, what does he look like? And he goes, oh, he's light. And I'm going, well, what do you mean? You know, I'm thinking that, you know, what does a three-year-old know, okay, about God? That he's going to be uh, the, the cartoon reference of a guy with white hair and a white beard and a white robe. No. He says, and I go, oh, so does he look like this? And Brandon kind of looks at me like, no, Mommy, light. And he pointed up to the lights. He goes, lights. So I kind of think that at one time, we probably had that light in us also, but because of sin, we no longer had it. You know, of course, God, I mean, we are nowhere near. I'm not saying that we can compare ourselves to God by any means, but, you know, God is light. Therefore, we have that potential, don't we? And when we are someday glorified, I think we'll get a little bit of that light back, hopefully, you know, so that we can be more conformed to his image. So anyway, let us make man in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. I think that's important to note because we are supposed to be stewards of this earth. And I think we've done a pretty crummy job of it so far. Wouldn't you say? I mean, we have gone against... God's plan for how we were supposed to care for our earth. And I think that's very sad. But anyway, that's just part of the fall of man. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And I think I'll stop there. In the beginning, there was nothing. Of course, evolutionist will tell you that in the beginning there was nothing and it exploded. And when it, the nothing exploded, it became something. I don't know about you, but I kind of find that a little far-fetched. Um, Brandon, again, can you tell I love my boys? You'll hear a lot about my boys, Brandon and Austin. Anyway, Brandon says, yeah, I believe in the Big Bang Theory, and my heart skipped a beat. He goes, God said it, and bang, it happened. I go, okay. <laughs> I, I, okay, I like that. I like that. So, in the beginning, God created everything. Now, if you don't believe that in the beginning God created everything, then all this is kind of a waste of your time because it means everything that you believe that God created you from the very beginning. And so we could study a whole year on creation versus evolution, but um, I'll just kind of skim over it. But um, first, to believe in creation actually takes less faith than believing in evolution. It really does, because the mathematical probability of of life creating itself is so 
so absurd. I think the number is like, <clears throat> you know, some kind of Googleplex, you know, one in a trillion Googleplexes or something, which, you know, I have no idea what that number is, but it is like impossible. And why they always push this in our school system, I have no idea. But to believe that something became, that nothing became something, that's really hard, even if it did take millions of years. Um, it would be kind of like believing that you throw a bomb into a print shop and the Gutenberg Bible comes from it. That is how complex we are. Gutenberg Bibles aren't nearly as, as complex as the human body, but that's what people would have us to believe. Now, you think that if you threw a bomb for millions of years into a print shop, it would ever turn into the Gutenberg Bible. No. No, that's silly. It's like it would just be chaos after chaos after chaos. And so it's like, no, I don't think so. And um, unfortunately, they teach this in our school system. And I, I, you know, I hate it because it, you just see it as the, the enemy infiltrating. And that's why it's so important that if you have, you know, your kids in school, that you kind of counteract some of those things that's being taught there you know I think it's good that our children are in the public school because they're supposed to be salt and light right so um, it's important though that you kind of counteract what they're being taught because they're being taught all sorts of things in there you just need to be proactive with your kids if they're in public school so just be um, careful of that but um, there is a movement thankfully of pulling that out of the curriculum because they're finding out that, okay, this is kind of ridiculous, but they're not doing it because they don't have anything else to replace it but creation. And so they're going, okay. Now, I heard this one um, a while back. I think aliens came. It's aliens. So one would ask, okay, well, let's just say, let's, let's give them that. Okay, so it was aliens. Aliens came and seeded the earth. I've seen movies about that. And then we became humans because aliens came. Well, then again, you're stuck with where the aliens come from. Okay? So um, it could go on and on. But, of course, the big question would come, well, where did God come from? We don't know. And you know what? I don't have to know. I see evidence of him so much, even in our world. You know, the beauty. We were talking about the beauty of a rose. You know, how can you say that was random chance processes? It can't be. You look at a newborn baby. How can that be random chance processes, right? You know, Amanda got to see her uh, her uh, sonogram yesterday of her baby, and he is beautiful. And so, sorry, I let the cat out of the bag. I just get excited about these things. But you know, how can you how can you look at a baby and not see the glory of God in that? That it was random chance processes. You know, of course, then you would ask, well, what came first, the, the chicken or the egg? How can a kid be created without, without parents? You know, it's just, no, no, this is craziness. So it, there has to be a creator. And so, like I said, we could go a whole year on this subject. And, um, and it, there's a lot of information out there. But um, there are those that feel it's only a matter of time before we figure out exactly how evolution worked that we just don't have the information yet. That's what people say. I personally don't think they ever will. So anyway, they think that someday they're going to be able to create life in a test tube 
I don't want to be a test tube baby, but, you know, <laughs> that sounds rather cold, heartless. Um, Chuck Smith used to tell this story when he would touch on evolution versus creationism. And it was uh, a bunch of scientists got together, and, and they said, look, we have created life. And God says, oh, really? Let me see how you have created life. And they go, well, yes, yes, we'll show you. See, first we take a cup of dirt, and God reaches down and says, hey, wait a minute, that's my dirt. You get your own dirt. <laughs> you get the point? You know, we are made from dirt. That's what Genesis tells us. We are made from the dust of the earth. I think we learned that in our study. So, you know what? Where did the dirt come from? Okay, say you can make a man out of dirt. Where did the dirt come from? In dirt is so much cool life. If you've ever dug it up and you just see all sorts of cool things in the dirt, you know, organisms and things like that. So never let anyone make you feel stupid because you believe in creation. Never let somebody do that because, you know what, they're the ones that are being kind of silly and believing something that is mathematical, mathematically impossible. So, Seeing two. Don't you love the way the format is in our Bible study book? It's like scene one, scene two, act one, you know. It's kind of like a, this, well, they call it the unfolding drama, you know, and I, I love the way they did that. And so um, Genesis 2 talks about how women were made. Um, the, yeah, I'm not going to read it. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's pretty long. Um, but what we have is kind of this scene where Adam is tending the garden. And I don't know what that conveys. I love to garden, so I know what that takes. It, you know, you want to, I mean, maybe he was trimming hedges. I have no idea, you know, and making sure all the animals, you know, were doing what they need to do. I have no idea. It was a perfect world. So anyway, God looked at Adam and he says, you know what? It's not good. It's not good that he should be alone. And so we all know the story. He took one of Adam's ribs and created woman. Now, I love the fact that it didn't take it from his head to be above the man. He didn't take it from his foot to be below the man. took it from his side. And that tells us that we're supposed to be an, a co-equal with Adam or with the, our male counterparts. And that's pretty cool the way God did that. And so I can't even imagine when Adam woke up and he sees this beautiful woman next to him, he probably went, woohoo, you know, what a good day that was. Um, and everything was perfect. Now, it doesn't give us a time frame about how many years passed by, but you know what, I kind of picture, you know, God doesn't do things fast. So I don't think it was going bam, 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 bam. I mean, as far as creation, perhaps it could have been, you know, there are people who, you know, talk about the gap theory. We're not going to get into those kind of things. But I just kind of take it as God created the earth in seven days. He created it, you know, on six days, and he rested on the seventh, excuse me. But um, how long Adam and Eve tended the garden, we don't really know. It doesn't give us any insight on that. So it could have been years. could have been years. But... Um, here we have the perfect marriage, um, the first marriage, and they work together. And But one of the things that God gave us was our free will. You know, and that's important to note here. Some people will say, well, why did he put that tree in the garden? 
Why did he put the tree of good and evil and said, don't eat of the tree? Why did he say that? Well, I think it's because God doesn't want puppets. If you force your children to love you, do they really love you after all? They don't. You want them to come to you on their own free will. And so I think that is why God created us, because he wanted people to come to him by our free will and to just love him and him in turn. I mean, he loves us regardless. But I think that's why he gave us that choice. And so he puts the tree in there and says, don't do it. And, of course, um, we have our scene three and what has happened. The serpent, who was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did you really, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, that's not what God said at all, is it? What did God say? Eat from every tree but this one. So again, we see kind of how the enemy of our soul, he's always twisting and conniving and trying to get us to fall away from our Lord. And so it's kind of like the first tactic. You know, let's discredit God. Exaggerate the negative. Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees? What did God say really? All but one tree. So continuing on verse 2, it says, Of course we may eat from the tree in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. Now, you see how she's getting caught up in the exaggerations now. God didn't say anything about not touching it. He just said, don't eat it. Don't eat it. I mean, it must have been an amazing tree. You know, it's told that it was pleasing to the eyes. You know, maybe it was like, to me, that tree would be an apricot tree. I love apricots and ripe apricots. To me, there's nothing quite like them on the earth. I love them. Unfortunately, they don't grow very well up here, so I have to contend with my peaches. So, you know, peaches are okay. But anyway, it looked yummy, yummy. And, of course, they probably knew everything else in the garden tasted really yummy. So, you know, they're probably going, oh, I wonder what that one tastes like. You know, it's our human, human nature. So she gets up and exaggerating the negative, too. She should not have given place to the devil. She should have held on to God's word. And that's a warning to us. And she should have resisted the enemy. And then Eve took away from God's word by omitting freely. And she added the word by adding touch it. You know, she just like, huh, okay, God says that we can't freely eat. You know, she just started leaving things out. And it was kind of like, you could see how she was building the case in her own heart and her mind. Don't we do that? When we want to sin, when we, of course, we won't admit that it's we want to sin. When we want to do something that we know that God has clearly said, don't do it, don't we start to justify in our own hearts? Don't we do that? I know I do. You know, if I really want something, I start building my case. You know, in my heart, I'm going, okay, oh, yeah, that's a good point. You know, and I got this all built up in my head, you know, and then I, I go to court, so to speak, you know, and, and lay my case out. And God's saying, no, no, no. If I say no, don't do it. Okay, okay. So we just need to never give place to the enemy because, you know what, that's kind of the first step to falling in it. So 
we see the tragic operation of the lust of the flesh here. It looked good. That fruit just looked so yummy. And the lust of the eyes, it was pleasant to look at. And then the pride of life. The enemy says, oh, you won't die if you eat it. You won't die. God didn't really mean that. And she's going, yeah, well, you know, that does kind of sound far-fetched. What is death anyway? Nobody's ever died. So she's probably thinking, you know, I don't know what's going on here. You know, and he's just so slimy. And she was doubting God from the very beginning. And I often wonder, was that really the first sin when she started to doubt? To think, oh, you know what? God is holding me back. I think, I think I deserve this. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And so as long as the mind hold, holds to God's truth, Satan cannot win as long as we go back to the word of God. And we see that example when Jesus was tempted, don't we? He, uh, he had been fasting for 40 days, and that's when Satan came in, you know, when, when Jesus was a little beaten down and, Satan came in and tried to use God's words against him. But Jesus would have none of it, and he fought back with the word of God. And so that's what we need to go back to. You know, when we get confused and Satan's telling us these lies, go back to what you know from the word of God and know that uh, God says to don't do certain things. So verse 4, Satan says, Oh, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And she's going, yeah, 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 that sounds great. So the enemy lies to her, obviously. He's very good at it. He's, after all, he is the father of lies. And why should he change? It works. You know, 6,000 years later, it still works on us. We still just fall for it hook, line, and sinker. So perhaps making her feel stupid for believing that if she ate of it, you know, maybe make her feel like, oh, yeah, that's just stupid. Not eat of that tree. Are you kidding me? So we're going, oh, yeah, I feel bad about myself now. You know, I need to be validated here, you know. So, <laughs> so the woman was convinced. Verse 6 tells us she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Do you think she got wisdom? So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Now, I always imagined that she was alone when this all happened, but in reading other versions, I began to see that Adam may have been standing right next to her the whole time. It's like, where was he? He's supposed to be protecting her. You know, and he's probably, you know, have you ever done that where you're kind of glad somebody else is sitting with you? (laughs) You know? I guess misery really does love company. So I'm thinking, so Adam's probably standing there the whole time. You know, poor Eve always gets the bad rap. But, you know, you think about it. If you were the only two people on earth, do you think you'd ever be separated? No. No. So obviously they were together. So Adam was there witnessing the whole thing. Why wasn't he saying, oh, Eve, we shouldn't do this? No, no, no. Yeah, he didn't say a word. He just sat there and went. I know nothing. <laughs> so I don't know why he didn't stop it, but he didn't. Because you know what? The lie was working on him too. The lie was working. 
And so he was intrigued by what the serpent has said. And um, Adam deliberately sinned and then plunged the world into judgment. That one act had such um, uh, eternal consequences. And so at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, I don't know how you can sew leaves together, but they managed to do it. You know, I said, you know what a ghillie suit is? It's one of those. Um, some of you who, like Adam, I think, has a ghillie suit, doesn't he? What that is, it's a, it's a suit that you stick leaves on, and so you can, it's completely camouflage. So that's what I say. It's the first ghillie suit. So it's basically, you know, like wearing camo. So anyway, what a horrible thing that must have been, to be living the perfect life in the perfect place, and then suddenly all the ramifications of sin just hit you square in the face. Your eyes are open to the ugliness of sin. I mean, that must have been such a mental onslaught that it would just blow their mind. And that's what sin does. It makes you feel ashamed. And they were naked, so to speak, before the Lord because the Lord could now see their sin. That's why they wanted to cover up and hide. Not because they were embarrassed that they were naked. They just felt like they were so exposed spiritually, I think, to what they had done. And for the first time in their life, they were separated from God. That is a miserable place to be. Those of us who are Christians and you know you're in sin, you just don't have that connection anymore to God. And it's a very, very lonely place, isn't it? I think we've all been there where we resist, resisted and resisted and resisted. And then the Lord um, reaches down and tries to save us from ourselves. And then verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, to me, this is a very interesting phrase. I'm sure God knew exactly what had happened because he knows everything. He knew where they were, but he was asking the question anyway. Now, did God say this in a stern voice? Adam, where are you? You get your little fanny over here right now. No, he did, I mean, that's how, isn't that what we do as parents? Okay, yeah, I got some moms going, yep, that sounds like me. Um, but let's turn the tables. What if your child, whom you love dearly, or let's just place this on anybody whom you love dearly. It doesn't have to be a child. And they sin, which has lifelong consequences. Let's say they sleep with somebody who has AIDS. I mean, just think about it. And would you be mad at him and scold him and say, how dare you? You know, no. You would go, oh, I'm so, what, what happened? Why would you do this? You know, the consequent, you, your heart would be broken. So I think what God did, he says in the garden, he probably had more of a voice of, Adam, where are you? What have you done? And his heart was broken. He knew it was going to happen. He had a plan set in place, didn't he? But I'm sure it was more like, Adam, my beloved creation, what have you done? And it must have just broken his heart because he's going, I no longer have that communion with my creation that I had before because they have sinned. I can't look upon sin. And so 
Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, the woman did it. (laughs) The woman you gave me, you see? I mean, this is like, man, he's piling sin on top of sin here. So he's going the blame game. It's not my fault. It's her fault. It's like, you know, like I said before, he was standing there the whole time. So he's trying to backtrack and get out of, of you know, the, the, the problem here. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And she says, the serpent did it. Um, there's this great movie, and it's very entertaining. My boys loved to watch it a lot when they were younger, and it's a Disney film. And it's called The Rocket Man, not to be confused with The Rocketeer. But anyway, it's about this, uh, this astronaut, and he's just a real silly goofball guy, and he goes to Mars. But every time he, he's always doing stuff wrong. He's always getting himself into trouble, always doing stupid mistakes. And he's always going, you know, he's pointing. He's going, oh, she did, she did. You know, he's always blaming somebody else. It doesn't matter what it is. He blames somebody else. And so I kind of picture, you know, it wasn't me. You know, the serpent did it. So we do try to pass the blame. Whenever we are caught in sin, I think it's our human nature, we want to blame others, don't we? We need to own it. When we have sinned, you're not fooling anybody, especially not God. So just, you know, just put it to the rest. If you sin, confess it, ask forgiveness, and then it's done. So don't hang on to it. But anyway, just like Adam and Eve, we will feel ashamed in our hearts when we sin. And so then we have the ramifications of sin. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Now, I happen to like snakes. I mean, I'm not real fond of vipers, you know, rattlesnakes, that kind of thing. But as far as snakes, I actually like them. You know, we would uh, always collect snakes, whether king snakes, gopher snakes, whatever. I liked them. Because I thought they were unique. So I thought that the serpent kind of got a bad rap here. But what had happened is, they're really they're just talking about Satan. This is kind of a, um, a story of how Satan can just be slimy and, and everything. But anyway, so the poor snake grovels in the dust as long as he lives. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Okay, most ladies don't like snakes. What do you do? You beat them with a shovel, right? Yeah. Now, you're only allowed to do that if they're rattlesnakes, okay? And if you're not sure, it's like rattlesnakes rattle. And that's all we <laughs> So, no killing good snakes because they actually keep your gophers down. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Anyway, enough of my rabbit trail here. Yes, yes. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen your pain of your pregnancy and in you pain, in pain you will give birth and you will be, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Isn't that exactly how we are? Isn't that a crack up? It's exactly the way God said it would be. 
And then to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the trees whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will eat the food until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord says, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life? Now, the tree of life, as long as you ate it, you lived forever. That's what it was. And so the reason why God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden is because they didn't want them to eat from that tree anymore because he didn't want uh, sin to, to live forever. And so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Well, that's a tough sentence, isn't it? So did that mean that God didn't love them anymore? Absolutely not. But there are always consequences to sin. The drug addict, the adulterer, the drunk, all seem to have consequences. You have to live with what you have created. And if there were no consequences, what would we do? We'd probably keep doing it. That's our human nature, you know. But what did God ultimately do? He could no longer commune with his creations the way he did before. Sin had entered the picture, and light cannot commune with the darkness. And so God knew this would happen, so he made a way, and that's how we bring this whole story back to... Is there somebody peeking in the window? Who? Brody? <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, um, so God sent Jesus. I mean, this plan, this was kind of like plan B. You need to come get him? You can come this way. <laughs> it's an escapee. <laughs> That's cute. Okay, so God knew from the beginning that this would happen. He, it didn't take him by surprise. And so he set this whole plan in motion. He goes, I'm going to create man. I knew men were going to, men were going to blow it and they were going to sin. So he knew from the very beginning that God would have to pay the sacrifice. So it's an amazing plan when you think about it. He created man. He gave man a free will. He let them choose obedience or not. And then he knew he would blow it, but that plan was in motion. He gave his son, Jesus. And all he did was just so that he could have us, so that he would have our company. Isn't that amazing? Because he wanted to spend time with us. And I'm always amazed at how little we want to spend time with him when he went through so much trouble to spend time with us. It's like, why do we do this? But we do. It's our human nature. I'm always flabbergasted that he even loves us. It's like, what is there to love? We just blow it constantly, constantly. But Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, we also, since we were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what joy is that? The joy of saving us to be able to bring us to him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting for us to come home. That's a very, very simple plan. Anybody can get this plan. Anybody can get it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you did set this plan up, Lord, to save us. Just because you love us and you want to spend time with us. Help us to never take this for granted. Help us to never think that it didn't cost. Lord, it it cost you everything. And so I personally am so thankful for for that cost. Lord, that that death that you gave in in giving your son Jesus to to pay for the sins of all of us, Lord, what an amazing thing. And so we're so thankful, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We ask now that as we divide up into our groups, we just further uh, dissect all these thoughts and just pull out every nugget that you can possibly um, give to us, Lord. We desire to hear from you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.